0: Welcome to the therapy thoughts podcast. This is Tiffany Rowe. I'm a clinical mental health counselor and psychology teacher in Utah, and I want to change the mental health game. The therapy thoughts podcast is all about breaking down therapy related topics and making mental health information easy to understand and super accessible. So join me for quick and direct educational episodes and some deeper dives with experts from around the world. Together we are going to break down stigma. We're going to help each other make peace with mind, body and food. We're going to make therapy cool and invest time in our mental health. Let's do it here, one therapy thought at a time. <laughs> what's up everybody welcome to the therapy thoughts podcast this is tiffany Rowe coming at you live and today i have the great honor to interview and talk with nate winterton he's a 25 year old born here in salt lake city utah and raised in the mormon faith nate is a suicide survivor a conversion therapy survivor and gay he is a public speaker on suicide awareness lgbtq plus awareness and self-love Now, Nate and I talk about some really heavy topics, so this is a trigger warning and content warning for anyone listening. We have graphic descriptions of torture, abuse, trauma, assault, suicide. There's some heavy emotional work done in this podcast, so make sure if you listen that you're in a space to do so, you have good coping skills, a good support system, um, Nate is really generous with his vulnerability and sharing a topic that we all need to know about, conversion therapy. Um, and very sadly, that comes with some really graphic depictions of literal torture and literal abuse. So there's the warning for you. Thank you, Nate, for coming on and speaking about such a hard topic you're a badass. And anyone listening today, thanks for supporting the podcast and being here fighting for mental health and education here in 2020. Okay, y'all stay tuned. Therapy Thoughts fam, welcome Nate Winterton to the podcast. Hi, Nate. Hi, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) I'm, I'm so stoked to talk to you. We had to hit record, but we've already been breaking it down and y'all this, we are so lucky. I'm so grateful to have you here, Nate. Thanks for joining the podcast.
1: Of course. Thank you for having me. I, I just feel really blessed to sit here and like chat chat with you, you know, (laughs) we got to get coffee after this. Yes. 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 Yes.
0: Um, okay. Tell folks who you are, what's up with you, what message you're here to spread.
1: Yeah. So as she said, I'm Nate Winterton. I'm a speaker. I'm a writer, creative, I guess. Basically, I'm here because I speak about my conversion therapy experience and that 11 months of my life. And then I also talk about my suicide attempt and how I survived that and also just about growing up knowing I was gay in a religious culture, specifically like Mormon faith-based. And that's kind of what I spend my life chatting about when I'm not creating something artsy.
0: <laughs> when you're not drop-dead gorgeous with your makeup?
1: Oh, thank you. Yes, I love, I love the makeup. I love it so much. I hope one day to get my MUA license, but until then, I just play around.
0: I mean, it's incredible. It's really, yeah, it's really impressive. Y'all got to check it out. Thank you. I love it. On the gram. (laughs) On the gram. (laughs) On the gram. Um,
1: gram.
0: Let's start at the beginning then. You grew up as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. Mormons. You you grew up gay and Mormon. Let's start there. Talk about that.
1: Yeah. So I was raised in Lehigh, Utah and in the uh, Church of Jesus Christ Saturday Saints, I discovered that I was gay in pre-K because I had a crush on this boy. His name was Carlos, and he had like this beautiful like curly Afro. And I just felt something different about him. Uh, And it wasn't like, anything else and i didn't know what it was obviously i was four but throughout like my childhood years i started to realize how that was me being that was gay Um, because i constantly had crushes on like different people growing up and all of them were guys like there was this nickelodeon show called danny phantom And I had a crush on this like animated character of Danny and thinking he was so cool (laughs) and cute. And so (laughs) I knew from a really young age, but it was, it was interesting because I grew up in the church, you know, of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints and Mormonism. And when I was younger, like they didn't, they don't really talk about it to like primary kids, like about that stuff, but When I got to, like, teenage years of, like, 13, 14, stuff like that, they do talk about more serious topics that are... And transgressions that, like, are sex-based. And what the church calls, like, same-sex attraction to the normal person outside of the church, uh, just homosexuality. And I had like that realization that I was different and in the church's eyes that I was, what I was, was like, not right. If that makes sense.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. What, what was the messaging you heard growing up in the Mormon church about being gay or same sex attraction? What, what were you told?
1: (sighs) That it was a choice. And that to be gay or anything under the the queer spectrum spectrum was a choice. And if you prayed hard enough, or if you resisted the urges hard enough, or sought counsel, um, you would be able to fight these tendencies of being a homosexual, and you'd be able to marry someone of the opposite sex and have an eternal family and make it to like heaven with God and constantly getting berated with that made me feel just of lesser value. And that because I was born a different way, which I've always believed, even growing up, I always believed that I was born this way. I was just a failure in God's eyes, which really confused me because I I genuinely believed that we were all made in the image of God and that we were all equal and that God doesn't make mistakes. So I was confused about how I was a mistake, but I was made equal by God and I was made by him, you know?
0: Yeah. God, I'm crying. (laughs) I'm, I'm just heartbroken that this like messaging of like, you're inherently flawed was, was drilled into you. Just like as a human, not like as a therapist or someone who used to be LDS. I'm just like with you as a human right now. I don't even care that we're on a podcast. I'm yeah. I'm so fucking sorry. That's wrong.
1: Yeah. Um, it sucked. And what was crazy is I was talking about this actually yesterday with my dad, who's very right-winged conservative and very Mormon. And we talked about like my attempt and he's like, I know this much of why you chose to attempt. He's like, can we kind of try to unpack it more? And I was like, because I was constantly berated that I was a mistake. Like I heard his, his side of the family joke about my mom's gay brother and his husband. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And say these belittling things. And I was like, I just was constantly told I was wrong. Yeah. and and i don't i don't know if there's a way to fix this sadly yeah because i feel like i i still have like plenty of friends that are active in the church you know and family but and they say that there's a space for everyone in the church but i don't think there truly is because like, they, like we were talking about earlier, they have the Mormon and gay website of these men and women like vouching that, look, I deal with same-sex attraction and I have a I have a husband or I have a wife and we have children and I go to church every Sunday. So you can do it too. And for me, that really, that was prior to my conversion therapy that I was introduced to that website. And I had friends that like were advertisers for that. And I went to like a group called affirmation, which I don't know if it's like by the church, but it's like gay Mormons. And I was so broken down by all these people that were saying that they were making it through, you know, and that they were finding their way and having their eternal companion. So it's like, okay, am I so inherently broken <laughs> that no matter what, I can't be attracted to a woman? You know, I I, I was like, and I still sometimes str- I was struggle with that because it's like, okay, like nothing I do, I can't, I can get attracted to a woman. I just, I just can't. And it's something that is not in my control.
0: The deep shame and like something must be wrong with me. This is my fault. That's really toxic and it's abusive mm-hmm. to be told that. So that was the message. What's what's your take on same-sex attraction as a label for folks who are lesbian, gay, bisexual? Like, what's what's up with SSA?
1: for me I think it's degrading Mm -hmm. I think it's I think it's a way to take away a person's power of identity because it's a form of saying it's a lesser form of saying someone's gay and the The way I experienced is it's just, it's a way to make someone feel like it's a struggle or a trial. And it's not just a part of them. It takes away the joy and it takes away that person's power.
0: Mm, That makes sense. Like, oh, you're not gay. You're just attracted to the same sex. This is something you can control and change and suppress. Like let's water this down and take it away from part of who you are. Exactly. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. Just like in like the seventies, when people used or just even in junior high, when people just say fag, you know, or queer, like in the seventies and sixties, they said that all the time to make the LGBTQ plus population feel less and use it as a form of bullying. Now in like 2020, like, people use the word queer and fact, and we've taken back those words mm. and we've made them powerful and strong um but it's only through us fighting to have that mm-hmm. you know like i have a friend who released a t-shirt line that says fags against fascism and it just takes back the power yeah. but it just takes time and i think the difference between fag and queer to same-sex attraction is we can't take back the power of same-sex attraction in my opinion
0: mm.
1: because it's was created by an organization or organizations I don't know where it started to say that you are not gay you're not lesbian you're not trans you're not bi you're just someone who struggles with this thing mm. We're not even going to give it a label. We're just going to say it's same sex attraction.
0: That's that's got to be really confusing in lifespan development. You said pre K, four years old, four years old, clear as day. You you knew how you felt, and uh-huh. then to be told like, well, this is what that means, and it's problematic, and you chose that. I mean, how confusing and how shaming, and it—I mean—it carried on throughout your life. You ended up in conversion therapy. Yeah. Okay, so you went on an LDS mission. I've seen pictures, your cute little pictures, right? <laughs> little eighteen-year-old me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one like day.
1: Oversized. <laughs> I didn't know how to dress. It was like two sizes too big clothing. Like it was so bad.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh! One day I'll post my mission pictures. They're pretty. I know. I'm waiting for the day.
1: <laughs> I am waiting because I know there's going to be one where it's like a blouse and it's tucked into the skirt and the skirt's a little poofy. I just know. <laughs> Maybe
0: with some pleats. My pantyhose, <laughs> y'all. My pantyhose. Um, okay. So you went on a mission. You were 18. When did conversion therapy, did you come home from your mission after two years and start conversion therapy? Like what's the timeline?
1: Yeah. So I actually only served for six months, uh, because I had to come home early due to two things. Uh, one, my depression was really bad. And then also my anorexia was really bad. Uh Um, and the anorexia was the, the kilter that made my mission president and everyone say, okay, you have to go home. Like there's no option.
0: So just as kind of like a a sidebar for folks listening, the culture around missionary work in the LDS church is very praised and it's a very like coming of age, rite of passage. And for men in the church, it's kind of unquestioned. Like every man has to serve a mission or should serve a mission and coming home early from mission is shameful. And it's very shameful. Very shameful. Literally, it's shameful. And there's not a lot of support there. You're supposed to serve the mission for the full two years and coming home early. There's usually a lot of judgment and shame on the family and the person. Why? And most folks assume it's because, well, you must have had sex with someone. You broke the law of chastity. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 18 year olds masturbating when they can't have sex with anyone for two years. Like that's wild. (laughs)
1: Sorry, Whoa, that's so crazy. Like an 18 year old that doesn't know how to control their hormones yet. Sorry, I, I don't want to hijack. We're
0: getting into a com- uh, an important topic, but I wanted to explain like, coming home early from a mission is an extreme life stressor. And already dealing with mental health struggles and then coming home without a support system culturally, with the shame that comes from the community, I want to highlight like, that's a risk factor for suicide that is a risk factor for severe mental health that alone returning home from a mission so that's that's the the heaviness of that for anyone even if they're not gay but you're coming home with a couple anorexia depression home early from a mission mm-hmm. trying to figure out your identity so that's that's a lot let's continue yeah no worries um and just to
1: like add on to that i know it's like off uh we're like doing a sidebar but what Tiffany says is very true. like in my I came home and for like a like a year, I only went to Sacrament because my singles ward was so gossipy about it. you know, like I had there was a rumor going around that I slept with a sister missionary, which we could all <laughs> laugh <handle>. about. But <laughs> I know that apparently like someone spread that. um I was like shunned by some people that I thought were my friends and like my dad was and mom were questioned all the time about wanting to people wanting to know why i came home and they and it's just no one's business like i didn't do anything wrong but it's no one's business you know so it does happen you know but yeah so i came home and for like a year i just kind of kept to myself just because of like the gossip mill And so I had a few close friends that knew the reason why, and, like, they were, like, keeping me grounded. And then, like, a year, about a year, a year and a half of coming after being home from my mission, I started to really realize that my, me being gay wasn't going away. I realized that this is the thing I either I I have to deal with and I have to figure out what is happening. So I had like my first gay sex experience to see if it was like a real thing. And for me, I didn't One, I wasn't old enough to like go to a gay bar or anything. So I couldn't find a, a man that way. So I went on Craigslist of all places and had a gay sex experience which wasn't a good one, but it was, it was affirming that I was mm-hmm. sexually attracted to men. And after that, I felt awful. I felt used. I felt belittled and dirty and mm. degraded. And I didn't know how to shake the feeling. So I actually went to my YSA Bishop and I said, I had sex with a woman. I didn't say I had sex with a man because in my eyes, even back then, like sex is sex, you know, like he doesn't need to know. And I did the repentance process for having sex and I did that whole thing. And at the end of that, I was still struggling though with same sex attraction. And which is what I called it back then. And so f- finally, I called my bishop again and I said, hey, can I come talk with you? I need, to, I need to tell you a secret. And at this point in my life, no one knew that I was gay. I've never said it out loud. And I've never spoken to a soul about it. I've never even said it. I, at that time, I never even said it to myself out loud. I just kept it to myself. And I uh, met with him that night. And I was like, I deal with same-sex attraction. I don't find myself physically attracted to women. And I don't know what to do. I need to help. And he was just really quiet for a moment. Didn't say anything. And then finally was like, okay, I need to think on this. Can we meet, can we set up another appointment for a later time? And at that time I was like, what the crap? Like, I haven't told anyone for like 21 years. And now he's just telling, like, he just says, let's meet another time. And I was like, okay. And then like a month later, he um, met with me and he's like, so I've been talking to a couple people and there's this man who helps with same-sex attraction and he's done these techniques with himself through someone else and he's now married with a wife and children. It's helped him would you be willing to meet with him and just talk and see if this might be something you're interested in. And I was like, sure, I'll be willing to meet with him. So, he gave me like the man's address and phone number. And a couple of days later, I went to this this gentleman's home and he he answered the door and I asked him, so, like, what does this entail? And he explained that he doesn't like to go into it beforehand. He wants his people to go in with an open mind, which is obviously it just red for anyone flag. is a red flag. Unethical. Huge, like, huge, waving red flag. But for me, yeah. Like no form to consent. And for me at this time, I, Mm. I was desperate. I Mm. had no other options. I tried support groups and I tried praying. I tried watching straight porn. I tried everything, you know, making out with women and I just, nothing was working. So, for me, it was this. And if this doesn't work, then suicide's my answer. And so I met with him the next day. And the first type, I went through three forms of conversion therapy. And the first type was electrical shock. So he had me. I was, it was just like in his basement and it was a wooden chair and my wrists were tied to the chair. My ankles were tied to the chair and I was naked and he turned on the TV and there was gay porn porn playing. Um, and with me, I got an arousal. Um, and so he shocked me. And that would happen consistently. And each session, the shocks would get a little stronger um, to see if that, I guess, for him, a higher voltage would help my mind stop from getting arousal or associate arousal with pain. Um, and that wasn't working. And so we moved to the next form, which was at the time I didn't know the term. I just knew what he called it as, which was to get it was a way to suppress and get out the gayness from me. Um and that is now what I know is the term is waterboarding. You know, he would hold my head under water. Uh until I almost passed out and one to two times Mm -hmm. I did completely just blacked out. And that one was just more, that one for me was harder than the electrical shock because it, for me gave a more full body reaction. Um, And just, like, the type of verbiage that he used when doing that. It was, like, um, so in my mission, I served in the South. And for me, it reminded me of, like, this voodoo lady I went to one time. Uh, Just, like, the quick, like, really fast, like, I don't know. He, like, wasn't talking in, like, different languages. But he was just saying fast, really, things about, like, getting the gay out and, and God and bring comfort to this person and it just that whole experience was way worse for me than the electrical shock because he was so vocal during that. And I didn't like to hear his voice. Um, and then there was just one more form uh, that I went through, um, which for me and my experience, I consider it molestation. Um, he brought in this woman and had this woman touch me um, and try to, in layman terms, get me off. And that entire time, I just, I I couldn't move. Um, I felt like I was in shock. My body just became like a statue, I, 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 I was frozen and I went through just one session of that with him. And when I went and her, and when I came home from that one, I was like, no, I was like, I can't anymore because none of this has worked. And this went on that, all of that went over a span of like 11 months and at that time after that just one time with her i was completely broken i wasn't nate anymore i was literally just a shell of a person and i i didn't hang out with anyone i didn't have full-on conversations with my family by this point i or friends and I didn't do anything. I was he broke me. And so finally I uh, I was like, hey, none of this has worked. It's it's time for me to to go. I I can't make God proud by being straight. I can't make myself proud and become straight. I can't make my congregation proud and be straight. I can't do anything right. The one thing I was taught my whole life to do was to become a husband and a household, not like have a house and a great education and to get married in the temple. And that's the one thing I have failed at. I can't, make i can't make that a, a reality and so i picked a date and i picked a way to to go and i didn't leave a goodbye note because i didn't want people to know the reason of why i wanted to end my life i didn't want my my shame to be immortalized and for people to to see me at, as their last thought as a gay person, uh, that that's disgraceful. And so I attempted and knocked out, and by the grace of a higher being, firemen came in, because I apparently made plans with a friend and I didn't remember, and they knew my address and called the cops. And I was, I was rescued.
0: My friend, you, (sighs) um, what you experienced is torture, assault, abuse, trauma, um, The deep wounds of, of that, I just want to acknowledge what happened to you was wrong. It's unethical. It's inhumane. And you are worthy and valuable and deserving of like a beautiful life. And what happened to you was... Evil.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. I think anyone facing those those types of treatment would feel just like you felt, and so, like, right, like suicide feels like the only escape, the only solution when it's that dark and that traumatizing I hear that I'm so grateful you survived
1: me too I'm I'm finally in a place where I'm happy to, to have a life, um, which I never thought I would, because for me, I didn't, I still don't know what my life plan is or, or who I want to be when I grow up, but I'm happy to be on a journey of figuring that out, which take me back to 2016. I wouldn't want a life journey. I wouldn't want the opportunity to discover where I want to go. And so I'm just, I am, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm grateful to be alive.
0: No one should ever walk into a helping office or a therapy office and not know what to expect. That's a red flag. And if someone says some shit like that, run, right? Like anyone listening, like what happened to name? What happened to you is against all the rules. This is, this, this is unethical. It's evil. It's torture. It's inhumane. It's active assault. It, it, it's abuse. It's actively causing harm to a human, which is the basis of any ethical code. Not only should these people lose their license, which it doesn't sound like they have, if they did, they should be locked up. It's a crime. What happened to you and walking into an office where there's no informed consent and people are, are harming you is wrong. It's not your fault that you, we're there, right? You're you're going with the program you were told this would help you. But the information coming from a person who has a license mm-hmm. who is at the call, I want anyone listening to know this is not how it should be. This is wrong. We we'll let let's make a real strong PSA here. Conversion therapy, not okay.
1: Nope no forms of it is okay. No forms. It's not been proven to help in any way, even if it's just verbal. And, like, even, like, the American Psychiatric Board, like, their website does not condone it.
0: It's kind of unbelievable that this is... I mean, this is my ignorance that this is happening. 2016 was four years ago. It was four years ago. So... Yep. I mean... you're you are a literal survivor and now you're saying like okay four years later like i want a life journey which is beautiful how like how do folks who are exposed to the same homophobia and torture and abuse and messaging and shame that you've been exposed to like how do we how do we get to that point of wanting a life journey Ooh, that's
1: a good question. Um, one, I would, I would suggest therapy sooner than later, healthy therapy by a licensed therapist in like a good environment. Because for me, I fought going to therapy after doing this and throughout my whole life. I after my conversion therapy, I was and my uh, suicide attempt, I was put into the psych ward at uni because of my attempt. And you're required at least I at least I know for like suicide attempts, you're required for therapy. Like you have to meet with a therapist, and you also for me I had to meet with a therapist and also my parents. And It was just like two to three weeks, whatever insurance covered. And then I was like, yep, I'm good. I'm fine. Don't need anything. Didn't go to therapy after that, even though I obviously promised uni. I was like, yeah, I'll sign up for a therapist. I was like, I sign up for a therapist and do all the things. And then obviously I didn't do it because I was traumatized. And I was like, no, I'm not going to sign up for anything. And so... For years, I dealt with it on my own. I read books, I journaled, and it helped a little, but then I repressed my feelings with other things. One thing I repressed a lot with how I chose to, A, eat, and also the amount of alcohol I consumed, and I Mm -hmm. repressed my feelings in unhealthy manners, and so finally at like the beginning of 2020, I signed up with a therapist after therapist shopping for a while. And I finally dove in to the unknown and it helped me so much. Because without my therapist and my therapy sessions, I would still, still be Mm. fake happy which I've been for so long and just going to therapy has helped me discover that I'm worthy of true happiness and that I deserve to to find a, a place in this world that I truly want to take space in and so I highly suggest therapy and if it's for you, medication by a, a licensed doctor because without my anti like depressants I need that combo of yeah. my antidepressant plus therapy to be able to help like function healthily.
0: I am team therapy and meds. I'm so glad it's helping. Oh,
1: it really is. It Really is, because oh, this is the first year since my attempt that I've actually done a full, like, antidepressant. Before that, I've only done I did an anxiety pill, and I realized it wasn't helping me. It was like I didn't see a change on days I took it and days I didn't. But with the antidepressant, it's helped my brain in a much better I love how way. How you
0: added. On your own reading and journaling, it wasn't quite enough, but doing like all of these things together is moving forward. It's getting your own back. It's feeling and dealing, which is the work. It
1: really is. And I've never been a journal person. I like writing, but I don't like to like journal. And this year I've really been journaling like, I even have my journal just right here. Like, I I need to journal. And now, like, I get that it wasn't just, like, hocus-pocus, basically. Like, it's very helpful to just sit and just write whatever is on your mind. Because it, man, it just releases it so you don't overthink it constantly. Big fan over here.
0: Um, thanks for some of those tips. I think it's a great, great framework and the resistance we all have to therapy because of the stigma is one thing, but then having a traumatizing experience with a helper, I think adds obviously a natural survival response to resist it. So I'm glad you're with someone safe and took that risk. But yeah, it's hard. Too. It's hard finding a therapist that's a good fit. Um, but I, I mean, you should never experience any form of like abuse in therapy.
1: I agree. Never let the therapist like just don't feel pressured to stay with one therapist. It is another thing I because I personally I have found out that through my therapist that I'm a perfectionist. And that I am very concerned with what people think of me. Mm -hmm. And so I please a lot. And you don't need to stay with someone if you don't feel like the right fit. I promise you, I don't think anyone is going to, I doubt your therapist will be offended. They want what's best for you as well. And if you're not the right fit, that's Okay.
0: One million percent. I mean, therapy won't work if you're not vibing, if you don't trust your therapist and you don't have that rapport. And we all know that that's like the education we get in grad school is the relationship is the most powerful (laughs) factor of change. So we encourage you to shop around. Your therapist should have extensively annoying paperwork explaining all of this to you and empowering you as the client to be safe that we cause no harm, that you know what you're getting into, that you get to opt in and opt out, that you're the boss, that you know the plan, that you're safe, you know, all of this stuff. But liking them and connecting with them and feeling safe is the groundwork for all the hard therapy shit.
1: A hundred percent. Because until I felt safe with my therapist, I didn't open up with her about... And very casually about my conversion therapy. She didn't even know the details until she heard one of my podcast interviews. Because because I didn't tell her. I was just like, oh yeah, I just finished this podcast interview. It was the same day. And I'm like, I'm just feeling really worn out and exhausted. Because when I have interviews or I do speaking events of my conversion therapy or suicide attempt, I clear everything else for the rest of the day. I don't do anything else. I just know for me, I can't. I I get so physically exhausted yeah. that I just sleep the rest of the day. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I'm so tired. And she's like, why? I was like, oh, I talked about my conversion therapy experience on this interview. She's like, wait, <laughs> you're what? And she didn't know. So then I was like, yeah, so that happened. But it was just in 20, it, it, it was in the past. She's like, how far in the past? But I told her, she's like, Oh, what was that podcast you did it on? And then (laughs) she came back the next day with like notes.
0: (laughs) What a way to find out that trauma history. And like, yeah, what you're doing, like sharing the narrative and the story is Um, affecting your nervous system. Anyone listening's nervous system should be feeling the impact of like this human story. So I hope you take good care of yourself today. Self-care. I love that you block your schedule. That's brilliant sleep water breathe some air like this is this is real emotional energy and you are so generous to give us this we don't you know like to give us this story and to share yourself and the vulnerability and your pain um i know this is going to help people but i want to validate you first and foremost that you don't owe anyone this and thank you
1: oh no of course, thank you. And like, I'm doing it just because at the same time, I'm just a little mad that people don't believe that this happens. um, And it really sparked my fire last year when Utah was trying to decide if conversion therapy should become illegal in the state. And like at the beginning of last year, I sat in front of Governor Cox's like, Office, and like we talked to two news, and because the church made a statement condoning conversion therapy, which made the original bill not pass. And so I didn't speak in front of the judge because I emotionally couldn't, but I had friends who did who were underage, whose parents shipped them away to camps. Um, and we were all just completely broken because the one organization that we all grew up in was the ones who stopped us from being able to get this bill stopped, you know? And so finally when it passed and it became illegal in the state of Utah at the beginning of this year, it was a, it was a huge victory, but it wasn't without a constant pushback of people saying this isn't true. Like, this doesn't happen. This is some, like, 1950s, 1940s shit. Like, no, like, this has happened in the 2000s. Like, it's not...
0: In 2020. Decades old. And the victim blaming, saying, you're making Mm -hmm. this up, you're lying, like, that's part of the, like, systemic oppression.
1: Yep. And it's happened to victims of all sorts, like, like, look how it happens to women victimized of rape or specifically how I've seen it Mm -hmm. even worse with men victimized of rape and who say they've been raped, but then men are so terrified to come forward because of one, the judgment and then like, oh, if it was a woman who raped him, oh, like, how could he be overpowered by that? Or little boys, like they're just so terrified because they're supposed to be a man, you know, like it's, it happens all across the board with like conversion therapy, rape survivors, like so many people. Anorexics, Yeah, they always get told they're making it up.
0: The stigma and the shame are connected and it's oppressive. It's, it's traumatizing this is causing harm to so much. So thank you. I mean, it is really really brave to share this when you get kicked back saying like you're lying, you're making this up. And if people have that judgment towards you that speaks a lot more to their framework and they're like hundred percent yeah. So I, 100%. I mean, I thank you. I'm with you. I'm I can't believe that bill didn't pass until 2020 but so glad it did hopefully it's preventing yeah. conversion therapy from happening i'm sure it's still happening underground and people aren't licensed and doing this stuff so, so this is on our radar let's speak out against it and unequivocally declare that it is torture and problematic and so thank you for sharing your story you're you're going to change the world thank you
1: i hope so yeah. a little bit at least uh just to to bring awareness you know
0: yeah Where can folks find you and connect with you? I
1: feel like the best, that was almost a yell. I feel like the best place would be Instagram, just Nate underscore win, W-I-N. Or if you just want some funny gay humor, go to my TikTok, same thing, Nate underscore win. (laughs) But other than that, it's just mainly Instagram for the more emotional, deep thoughts.
0: I mean, I'm intrigued by the gay humor. I'm going to TikTok. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you for bringing humor to it. I mean, geez. Of course. That's too. All right, my friend. Everyone, follow along with Nate on his life journey. Thanks again for speaking with us. May you all be well. thanks for listening to the therapy thoughts podcast but remember this podcast is not therapy this is for general informational purposes only the information on this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any condition illness or disease this also isn't intended to be financial legal medical or therapeutic advice make sure you're always working with your own personal licensed mental health counselor may you be well